0: Hello, this is Richard Jacob with the Future Tech Podcast, and I have Gabriel Rene, director of the Versus Foundation. We're going to be talking about the spatial web. Sounds like the newest uh, version of what the Internet's going to be like. So, uh, Gabriel, thanks for coming.
1: Thank you for having me, Richard.
0: And I hope I haven't preempted you, but uh, tell me about Versus. What's the premise of the uh, effort?
1: Well, um, you know, if you look at the the history of humans and our relationship to information we've gone through um quite a few transitions uh over time and uh the, the the real key in our evolution has been our ability to take this information and share it the shareability of information together kind of you know uh ideas and 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 thoughts and and, and our imaginations we've put into these different forms so as we kind of uh you know, go from uh, grunt, grunting and 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 speaking, you know, in cave paintings, um, eventually to written information, uh, both you know, the birth of numbers and then different sort of uh, letters, you know, alphanumeric uh, information, and okay. more drawings. Right. Then we eventually evolve into writing, and then in the modern era, the printing press becomes the uh, you know, sort of the ability to scale writing, and that that technological leap really fuels the industrial revolution. Um, incidentally, most people don't know this, but the World Wide Web, which many have argued is the the next greatest invention um, and greatest application of the internet, you know, a- after the the printing press being you know one of, one of the the all time uh, most powerful inventions in in, in humanity, um, actually grew out of publishing. It's actually an extension of writing. Um, in a way, even our our uh, um, uh, our computers are kind of you know started as word processors, right? And so this concept that yeah,
0: that's right.
1: fundamentally what we've done is we've, we've we've made little word processors, which we called computers. Um, you know they crunch numbers and they crunch letters. And then we, uh, you know, Tim Berners-Lee, who's the inventor of the World Wide Web, uh, created a series of protocols that we use today that power a multi-trillion dollar you know global e-commerce economy that are the basis for our our our, our collective communication in every conceivable language um that obviously move beyond text to to images and videos um and you know it's just been an explosion of, of information sharing and this is a big part of what web 2.0 became it wasn't just a sort of a read-only web web 1.0 but became a sort of read and write web where we could all comment and share and blog and post and and even even this post today you know it goes out on on the web so um right that's been a, those have each been powerful shifts you know the the Wide web technologies are actually based on hypertext and hypertext is really just digital text um the entire model for how we've been looking at the world and our relationship to information since let's say we kind of uh you know our our earliest uh, days here on the planet uh, have been abstracted into symbols of words and text and uh, and and now uh, form other forms of let's call it two-dimensional media with the birth of computers and their ability to start to create three-dimensional objects models and information uh, over the last several decades we actually see a shift and in that shift there's been you know, a lot of great examples mostly represented in our sci-fi films, so, um, yeah, or books and stories, uh, you know, whether it's sort of the, the hologram chessboard and, on Star Wars, um, whether it's, uh, you know, looking at, which is sort of what, what we consider augmented reality or anything that happens in like an Iron Man movie where he's able to see information in space or project holograms in space, but only Tony Stark has that ability. What's happening now is that with our phones, uh, the the uh, ability to to create augmented reality, where we can project information and objects three dimensionally into into space, um, is now becoming a standard part of of the hardware and software combination of these devices. So by the time you get to the I've iPhone i
0: uh, I've seen like on YouTube, for instance, you know, there's videos where you can move the phone around and
1: pan and
0: so, yeah, I've seen a little bit of it, but go ahead. You were saying the iPhone X?
1: Well, in a way, the, the smartphone era actually will only ran 10 years. It was 2007 to, two, to 2017. And the iPhone X is no longer a – you can't really call it a phone anymore. Um, at, at that point, what you really have is um, an augmented reality device on training wheels with an AI chip. And that's because the cameras now have depth-sensing ability so they're able to create sort of animojis and 3D characters, and you can see Snap, Chat, and others, you know, altering people's spaces and projecting content into space like Pokemon Go. These are all the little precursors of like what it was like on the early, early web in the early 90s where you would just, you know, take 10 minutes and download a JPEG, you know, sort of, sort of you know, stamp size, you know, image, um, the load, loading. Yeah, hey, you know really what's
0: uh, my, like, my, you know, three kids and my daughter has like this app where it changes the color of her hair and it's really yep. accurate looking. You could, you know, she showed me what it would look like if she had purple hair or pink hair. Or, so I'm starting to see some stuff like that
1: too. Exactly. How old is your daughter again?
0: Uh, so my oldest is 13.
1: 13. Yeah. So there's these apps like Facetune and You Can Makeup and obviously, um, obviously, uh, Snapchat, <coughs> Snap Lenses. Um, but Facebook's adding this. Google's adding it to, to, to the operating system itself. The iPhone has already added it to the operating system. It's called AR Kit. Um, and so these these you know the next generation is this is going to be common for them in the same way that that maybe in Web 1.0 was was uh, our first interaction with with digitized information in a network and and the previous generation of millennials in Web 2.0. But this next era of Web 3.0 is going to become multidimensional. It's going to become spatial. It's going to become the spatial web. So what is the spatial web? What 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 is it have we need to find it? Well, if you think about today's current web, um, the interface for the, the web was the was a web browser, right? And we tended it was kind of the the desktop laptop era. So the hardware was was desktops and laptops or PCs. Um, and we accessed pages of information um, on those screens. Web 2.0 really became about uh, the ability to consume information on mobile devices. So we actually changed hardware. And in 10 years, you know, went from essentially zero smartphones to uh, three plus billion smartphones in a decade. So the, the, the rate of adoption was phenomenally big, and it was an entirely different kind of user experience. What that did as well, though, was it integrated GPS. So suddenly where we were became important. Like you never had information with your laptop about where you were. You couldn't order an Uber. Couldn't couldn't like uh, browse Airbnbs. You couldn't order Postmates. Right. Right. Because your location wasn't part of the network. Your location became part of the network in Web 2.0, but it was on a flat map. What's happening in Web 3.0 is that the interface will move from the phone to smart glasses or VR goggles or even some what they call XR, which is sort of mixed reality uh, headsets, which may be a combination of those two. Um, So that's the new hardware uh, interface. The content itself is going to be projected out into the world, just like the projections of content, like your daughter changes her face, or just like a Pokemon can be projected into the world. But it's going to be much more specific. I I use the Tony Stark example because he could look at objects in the world or people, and information will pop up. you can look at a uh, uh, you know a, a physical machine in the world and see all the information about that machine, how hot a certain part is, which part you need to pull in order to do something. And his AI Jarvis actually tells him how to do that, well, this augmented reality sort of holographic imagery is projected into space. That is well, what it's going to look like.
0: I, yeah, I thought of kind of like a lowbrow example. You know, like what if you had um, a nightclub and the bouncers could see things that other people couldn't see, you know, security features and exactly. all that. And the patrons could see something. The owners would see another level or in any business too, if you have various levels of security that the personnel, Absolutely. They, would, they would be able to see things others couldn't. You know?
1: exactly just take a restaurant in you know 2035 right so this restaurant actually has a number of different kinds of users so it's got uh management staff they need to see certain things that are happening on the floor and imagine now they've got everyone's got smart glasses on in this particular scenario and so management is seeing all kinds of things maybe they're seeing vip customers coming in they're seeing how the hostess is working with them they're seeing how the wait staff is performing they're seeing like the the timing for about the kitchen is how fast they're, they're meeting demands the kitchen Staff is just seeing what's going on in the kitchen, and they, but they may have this, some information about people's reactions out on the floor. The chef is getting his own update. Uh, and then you've got the floor staff seeing just what they need to see, including what's the fastest way to route me to that person. Um, uh, may even be information about um, their performance or, or feedback, or even recognized by the emotional tracking and, and mood tracking of facial recognition cameras. And, and then you've got the customers like us that walk in, we don't see any of that stuff, but we're able to see, uh, you know, I don't look at a menu of a picture of what my food's gonna look like. <clears throat> I look at the table and I swipe through the food as if it were really there. And I select it and I can, I can see the history of, of whether the meat came from a particular farm or whether the oranges are part of a sustainable uh, supply chain, right? So the, by combining essentially augmented reality, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things and robotics and blockchain and cryptocurrencies, that combination of technologies linked together is what enables the spatial web.
0: One, one question, though, um, you know, myself and a lot of people I've talked to, and I'm just the you know, only one person, you know, they don't like to read things on the computer, for instance. It hurts their eyes. So they'd rather print mm-hmm. stuff out or they just, you know, I don't know if you think virtual reality is going to become so pervasive or augmented reality that people will wear glasses all day long or I don't know if I'd want to experience the world that way and I don't maybe people would I don't know it's just well the thing I is just wonder what the <laughs> limits are
1: um if you go back to 1985 when we had our um, phones uh stuck to the walls of our homes um and I told you uh Richard uh if I gave that phone the ability to give you access to all the information in the world um and I shrunk it down Do you think you'd spend an average of three to four hours a day messing around with it? Uh, You need to go like you're crazy. (laughs) We'd go back to watching Voltron, Mm. (laughs) right? But in but the answer is yes. And so and and some people obviously won't. So there's people today that don't have Facebook pages, and some for very good reasons. There's people that don't have smartphones, but I bet you almost none of them are your friends, and you probably haven't talked to them in a while. So the, the reality is that our, the incentives are built into the value that new technology delivers. The idea of carrying around a computer was ridiculous. I'm going to put it on my lap, but it was a horrible idea. The idea of putting it in your pocket, you, know, you can see the progression. The computer goes from a big room where you go to the computer to then the computer is in your room and on your desk. to so then you can carry the computer around with you, but it's on your lap then you can put the computer in your pocket, so then you can put the computer on your wrist. It's going on your face next. And the reason is that the, the value that's going to come from that will exponentially improve your life in all these incredible ways. Uh, it will certainly come with its own set of challenges. Smartphones do that today. There, there are technology addiction concerns. We've got internet addiction concerns. There's gamers that you know won't take the time to eat. But at the same time, you know esports is being considered for the olympics so the the march of progress um tends to bring us more value there's always trade offs but yeah i do think that over the next decade or two you're going to see this transition not only to glasses but then eventually to contacts and then eventually into uh, uh things like neural lace which elon musk and other companies are working on which is uh, sort of a a head cap that essentially would give you the matrix effect where you could log in and have a complete sensory experience uh, of the world, um, even physically um, so so yeah, over the next several decades, you know these technologies are they're not theoretical they, they, they exist and work today. This is really about the convergence of all of them, and then we 'll have to see how it actually plays out.
0: Well, I just wonder, you know let's say the computers in your glasses you know are most people going to walk around with it turned on all the time, sending them notifications and I don't know, changing what they they see? Or do you think that, I guess some people will leave it off most of the time or
1: (laughs) use it when they need? I
0: I just wonder how pervasive it's gonna become and what interaction will be like.
1: Well, if we look at history as an indicator, um, like I said, we went from zero to three billion smartphones in a decade. So it's it's difficult to know um, when exactly and how and what key elements will drive that adoption. But um, when you have Apple, Google, Facebook, Intel, Microsoft, um, Baidu, essentially all the largest companies in the world are betting on this as a essentially as a foregone conclusion of of the next interface. Um, Never before in history have all of the largest companies in the world come to the same exact conclusion uh, about where we're going uh, and simultaneously all developing uh, similar variations of that technology. So I think that the pervasiveness will be exceptionally high. Also, this is the value proposition that comes from the integration of 5G networks where we're gonna get a 100 fold increase in data speeds. The purpose of that is to now enable drones and autonomous vehicles and augmented reality and virtual reality content, which has been too heavy to push down, you know, our slower sort of uh, internet pipes. And We all remember, you know, trying to watch video uh, when YouTube first came out it was pretty painful. Now everyone's, you know, average nine-year-olds, you know, able to play a multiplayer game on his handheld computer. So, you know, it's it's not just it's not just the headsets. It's that all of these technologies uh, are converging. And the real question, Richard, is. Um, if those technologies are gonna remain in silos, much like a lot of the challenges we've seen with web 2.0, where third party companies can take our data and use our data, reselling our data. Um, there's massive sort of privacy concerns and there's there's huge interoperability and compatibility concerns that our uh, current problems today, as soon as we're trying to operate in the real world uh, without these things being integrated, without certain sort of basic privacy standards built in, um, we get, we actually can kind of are, are faced with this sort of black mirror versus white mirror future. And what Versus has done is said, hey, let's ensure that the underlying digital infrastructure of Web 3.0 is built on a kind of spatial protocol that connects all these technologies in such a way that allows for a lot of variability and, and, and commercialization and, and usage but are designed to respect our privacy, are designed to to be interoperable with these other technologies, and to get the benefits of what we call network effects. So what the spatial web is, is the integration of all these different technologies in ways that both respect our privacy, that have built-in security, which the, the web didn't have when it was designed, and at the same time have all this interoperable, interoperable functionality that, that gives us the most amount of potential value, also protecting our 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 sort of individual rights. And that's what the spatial protocol that Versus has developed, much like what Tim Berners-Lee had developed uh, back in uh, 1991, that became the basis uh, of the core technologies for the World Wide Web that we use today. As we move into another dimension, literally a sort of third dimension of digitization or digital transformation, we needed to re-architect and revise and rethink about how those protocols work because they didn't come with a security layer. They didn't come with considerations around privacy and they didn't come with a transactional functionality which is why e-commerce was kind of a bolt-on um, afterthought uh, You know that Amazon and others have successfully been able to benefit from. But we think that those need to become standard parts of how Web 3.0 should be designed. And it's why we've started the Versus Foundation as a nonprofit foundation to basically make these technologies available um, at no cost as part of an open standard that everyone can use globally. Well,
0: what do you see the, um, the big companies that are innovating in this space? What are their concerns? Do they care about privacy? Do they care about security? Or are they just kind of running headlong towards making cool devices and experiences and forget about everything else?
1: Well if you look at the challenges we've had with in web 2.0 the Cambridge analytica scandal the Russian hacking scandal um, it, you know if you just kind of browse the headlines uh, today you'll you see all kinds of um, really concerning uh, uh, articles that are discussing how our privacy is being being uh, our private information our personal data is being captured sold resold in these Sort of dark web uh, marketplaces that you know that are monetizing our behavior. Now, when you start to think about collecting biometric information, you know your heart rate, your mood, um, facial facial recognition cameras everywhere, um, and and being able to uh, to recognize what, what certain behaviors are, and and uh, you can see that that there are very serious privacy uh, concerns here. And I don't believe that the majority of large companies today um have taken enough of a position on uh enforcing um, you know common sense privacy uh or supporting common sense privacy regulations we're starting to see it come out of europe with with what's called g d p r uh, which is a, a the general data uh, uh uh privacy uh rules and um these are now saying that your data is your data you know third parties have to have to be able to um like if you want to remove yourself from a service you can do that you should be able to take your data with you data portability so we're starting to see the early signs of of regulatory environments that are going to drive this but the problem has been that most of these companies many of these companies business models are actually designed to capture and resell your private data that's that's the basis of the so-called free web web 2.0 and um you know, reasonable people, reasonable people can argue about whether or not that, that's been a good thing. It's certainly been good for business, but free has actually cost us all quite a bit. In Web 3.0, we frankly can't take that level of risk uh, as a species because the level of um, detail that, it, that a company is going to be able to pull and access related to all of your activities, behavior, thoughts, even mood. There's all kinds of new technologies coming out of MIT that, that could enable that kind of thing. Um, we need to enable, you know, security built into the web itself. And, and Versus enables this with something we call smart space. And smart space essentially lets any physical space in the real world, your home, your office, uh, government building, the medical facility, um, become an encrypted three-dimensional space. Imagine like a digital force field around your home that then allows you to set the rules for what kind of content can be projected or displayed or captured from inside of your home. You can set rules for what the kids can see in what part of the house, where they can play with Pokemon until what time of day, um, what third parties that have appliances in your home that are now smart appliances. You know, you know how apps co- collect our data now. They say they anonymously collect our data. Well, a lot of times they're collecting our location data and they're selling it. So you don't necessarily want your coffee pot spying on you in the future. So versus smart spaces enables every single space on the planet to become a, an encrypted, secure space where you're the domain owner and rights holder, and you can define how these other third, party, third parties can access information or project information or content into your space. Then by connecting all these spaces with their own sort of, call it three-dimensional address, you can actually also now teleport objects content and information from one location to another just like you might share a youtube video from one site to another site but it now will be three-dimensional mm-hmm. information It could be an architectural diagram that that your boss wants to see that you want you want to send it to his office in new york it could be i mean virtual
0: captures- it, virtual doesn't seem to be nearly as um sinister to me i guess as augmented reality because with augmented reality there's a the possibility that um Things could be projected onto your computer, for instance, that maybe aren't really there. And if society gets to the point where it's constantly walking around with glasses or contacts, that's a, a way for people to literally like hack what you see and experience, and for you to believe that that's real when it may not be. So just, exactly, know, and, just,
1: that, uh, and that, that's no, you're having the right response. <laughs> this is that's the right kind of response that you should have. It's the one that it's why we designed the protocols a certain way because. With versus Richard, um, it would be nearly impossible for someone to do that because you have a mm. sovereign identity, you have your own ID the environments you are are in, are in have their own address it's like it's very difficult to put stuff onto other people's websites right because websites are, have oh. SSL encryption because there's there's a domain that gives you a login so now what we do is take that same model and we extrapolate it out into space, but we can add the benefits of uh very hardcore crypt- cryptography, um, distributed ledgers, and blockchain technologies that then can in- help enforce those policies with things like smart contracts. So there, there's <laughs> there's a there's a model for how to prevent someone from putting information or objects or content in front of your face that then you couldn't yeah. couldn't verify was real or not. Now there would be a record, and just like you could, you know, in that restaurant scenario, validate the origin of uh, your steak. Uh, as being, uh, you know, grass-fed and coming from, you know, a particular farm in Northern California, you could also validate that that avatar who looks like it's, you know, uh, pretending to be a friend or a business associate, is it actually them? And, and of course, that could happen in VR as well as they are because we're not just talking about the digitization of things. We're also talking about the digitization of people.
0: But so here's, here's the issue. Like, look, look what happened so far with blockchain. You know, like your company and many others, they have a lot of great ideas. They want to do all these these honorable great things. But unfortunately, as of right now, at the end of the day, the government's call the shots and they may not want your vision. And just as they've kind of marginalized, you know, cryptocurrency, at least for now and for a while, they may do the same. They may say, Yeah, well, we want backdoors into everything. We don't want everything encrypted and and all that and secure. You know, they their vision may not be yours at all. So I I'd rather have yours. It'll be much better. I just don't know that uh is that the climbable hill, or you know, what you would do to make sure like your protocol runs things instead of you know some other protocol that, like I said, is in the hands of of government or large companies that would love to mine everything you see and everything you experience and take it all, you know?
1: Well, they will all want that, and the question is really Richard, whether or not you, as an individual, will want them to. There may be certain incentives where actually it's preferable for you to give your information. You may be paid. There there may be a value in you giving certain amounts of information about your health or about your mood or about your likes and preferences or your jogging, path, your hiking route. Um, And we do that. We do that today. And and there's a lot of value that we do get from companies when we share information about ourselves. Every individual person actually makes their own decision around that. With respect to the government, what I can tell you at the moment is that we're, we're in conversations with multiple governments around the world. And multiple standards bodies that have a long history of, of implementing these kinds of basic uh, sort of infrastructure standards. Um, mostly, even as exciting as the content and idea of this sounds, the actual technology itself and the implementation is is really very boring. Um, and there's all kinds of standards built into everything that you do in the world. The way that the that certain ships are designed, or or the way that certain screens are designed, or even like the number of screws that need to be in a in, inside of a a beam uh, inside of a facility that 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 it, uh, allows it to be insured or allows it to be approved by by um, by the city for construction. So there's all kinds of um what, kind of what I would call boring standards that end up being the basis of our our, our physical infrastructure. And it, with respect to digital infrastructure, what I can tell you is that the U.S. government, as of today, uh, Department of Homeland Security, as an example, uh, has put out a call to specifically convert um all of the paper IDs um uh into digital IDs. And in that paper, which anyone can access online, uh, it states that they know they do not want access to that information. They don't want to store the information. They don't want the sort of big brother honeypot, because frankly it becomes a bigger and bigger liability. Uh, that along with the kind of regulations I mentioned, before, like like GDPR, where, where the EU often set, sets these kinds of standards, actually cause larger and larger fines for companies that store more and more private information that then get hacked by hackers. So the challenge that every, any company has, is, and including governments, is that, of course, you can store what information, any information that you, that you can acquire, uh, but hackers tend to get in and tend to, to steal that information. At the same time, right. the regulatory environment is heating up. So we go from million dollar fines to billion dollar fines, which is this, this is already the road that's happening. California has its own privacy uh, regulations that have just come out um, that are also, you know, very severe. This is, this is like day two of Web 3.0. But I believe that um, the pushback against, uh, 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 there's both a practical reason and there'll be regulatory reasons for, for businesses to actually not want to store that data and instead to be able to have the right to access your information, uh, let's call it conditionally. Like if you walk into my restaurant, that's the only time I need your, your dietary restrictions. I don't need it to store it on my servers <laughs> you know, 365 days out of the year, right? It's a cost I don't need. Advertisers spend uh, billions of dollars a year Trying to kind of take a patchwork quilt of information and target you online, but wouldn't it be great if you just had your own information and if I was selling uh, mattresses and I knew you were in the market for mattresses but then you actually bought one from your 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 neighbor who ha- had a brand new one he didn't want and I don't know that how many times have you been followed around the web after you've purchased something by you know with sort of retargeted ads for like weeks afterwards well as an advertiser. I'm spending money to try to sell you something you've already bought. But if you could say, hey, uh, you know, bed, bath and beyond, um, I'm no longer in the market for a mattress, but I would love to get some new sheets or I would love to get a pillow. I think there's an opportunity for an entirely different kind of relationship between uh, individuals and advertisers that's actually more honest, it's more secure, and it's probably more profitable.
0: Hmm. uh I- I don't really, I'm not really bothered by advertisers, but I guess myself, you know, I I envision a future where, you know, and this this is the common, I'll tell you the common response to this, but you know, a future where, uh, you know, something happens, the police want to look at you and then they get access to, you know, your visual feed of everything you've seen over the past month and computers process it and they get whatever information they want. And all of a sudden, everything you've ever done or seen is, uh, you know, is available to them. And then there's the common response of, oh, if you don't do anything wrong, there's nothing to fear which I consider as Um, I worry about that more than uh, just marketers you know, trying to market to me. That doesn't seem to be uh, – I don't know, just personally, that doesn't bother me. But what, what does bother and concern me is the ability for, uh, for governments and authorities to, uh, I mean, pretty much have free reign in everything you've ever done and seen once technology gets to that point.
1: Well, that comes down to laws, and that comes down to the people that write the laws, and that comes down to who we vote into office. Right. So the the, okay. the political and, and, and legal and regulatory frameworks of our societies in demo- in democracies are supposed to be the result of decisions that we make. But when we when we're being informed by advertisers that are falsely creating fake news to then inspire you to vote in certain directions by inciting emotions around things that that maybe are inaccurate, the advertisers. Uh, who may not just be trying to sell you uh, you know a mattress but maybe trying to sell you a candidate actually inform yeah. how those laws and regulations go into place so you can't really extract one without the other what we need is what we need is common sense regulation around these kinds of things and by by creating the underlying technology that enables it just like a hammer can build a home or or, or kill somebody or, you know, fire can, can uh, help us uh, make our food more digestible or burn our homes down. You know, technology is always sort of neutral, but it's really us as humans and our ethics and values and how we choose to represent them, who we choose to represent us and the enforcement of those that become um, challenges. And there is no doubt that web 3.0 will pose a whole new set of challenges. What we're trying to do mm-hmm. is get out in front and have these kinds of conversations and promote the uh, inevitability of this conver- these convergences of technology while saying, hey, how do we begin to create a, a digital infrastructure that respects uh, our human rights, uh, our, our privacy, uh, built in security, and built in interoperability that is more beneficial for us as the citizens, ideally is more beneficial for businesses, and is more is." will allow our government um, and cities to operate uh, in, in ways that are, that don't require them to be totalitarian. Um, but these are the challenges of this next generation and they're the challenges that w- these are the kinds of questions and concerns and conversations that we think need to start to rise to the, the, the top of the, the, the social conversation that we're having globally.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And you brought up a lot of important points. <clears throat> I mean, in a way it's actually a battle for, people's perception of reality
1: once That's i get right. that
0: you know you imagine glasses or contacts on everyone's face then literally you can shape people's reality what they believe is real in absolutely and, in an even more visceral way than just reading something on the web you know watching a tv yes. show which is crazy
1: yes this is this is actually the battle the battle to redefine reality and uh it will it will happen over the next uh several decades here and so to this end, we're, you know, we're trying to create awareness around it. Um, we also think there's more value in, in, in uh, compatibility and interoperability of these technologies, making sure that, that identity and privacy become a uh, privacy by design part of the digital infrastructure. And to that end, we're, um, uh, myself and my partner, Dan Mapes, both founders of Versus, uh, will be releasing a, uh, a book in the next month, uh, which is The Spatial Web. And in that book, we cover all of these sort of uh, topics and concerns. And, and again, the, the the point of this is to start to raise awareness uh, a, a, around the spatial web about Web 3.0, and to start this this dialogue that then will ultimately become part of the technology that is driving our day to day lives. We, we prefer to have a white mirror, you know, future versus the black mirror future, and so uh, that's really what the Versus Foundation is uh, founded on.
0: All right, well. Well, very good. What's the, uh, you know, a funny question. Out of all the movies that are out there, which one do you think most closely resembles what the future may be like? Uh, well, again,
1: it depends which kind of future we get. The same technologies can enable both uh, the sort of, you know, the darker or lighter version of, of our future. Um, ironically, most of our stories of the future are based on sort of dystopic uh, uses of technologies. Um, uh, so altered carbon is a really... Phenomenal example of, of how these technologies can be used for, for pretty awful uh, for pretty awful reasons, um, mm. uh, and I would say that to get a good indication of of what more general uses, nearly all of the the Marvel movies um, that have come out in the last ten years um, have showcased things like volumetric video and holograms and you know intelligent robots and um, and obviously the ability to interact. Um, uh, you know, spatially. So, you know, a lot of our sci-fi films uh, really capture this. The Oasis uh, from Ready Player One um, is, is probably a good indication of, of what virtual environments will look like in, in, in 20 or 30 years. Um, but, uh, you know, what what we think is missing is, and, and maybe it's just that we, you know, as humans, we love dramatic stories. Is There, there aren't a lot of, of really good um, representations of what uh, a, a beneficial very futuristic or very technologically um embedded society looks like and and that's that's probably part of what's missing is that most of our stories about the future you know are all ai and robots you know taking over and destroying us or or humans mm-hmm. abusing each other with these technologies certainly uh if you look at our history we're sure to do some of that but um, we actually believe uh on the whole, it, it will be something far opposite. We think that we're in a position to, uh, with these technologies, to kind of to kind of create a, a you know humanity could have a renaissance 2.0. The, the like the level of creativity that you can you can employ with these technologies, how how you or let's say your daughter could create imaginary play spaces or environments that that um, that she could share. You know, even the way that we communicate you know, several decades down the road, maybe more visual, maybe more content-based. I mean, we use memes and, and emojis now, they're kind of more visual and animated representations as opposed to, to merely words or text or gestures. So when that becomes entirely spatial and holographic, and it's just as easy to sh- to make it shareable, um, you know, there is a, there's an entirely new opportunity here for us as a race, because as I mentioned with our information historically, we had to take what we felt inside, you know, our thoughts and our feelings and our ideas, put them into some kind of medium, like words or an illustration, right? And and then then I could share it with you, right? That's what we're doing today. I'm I'm using mouth sounds to to to, to paint pictures in your head. Well, if I can just paint the right. pictures in the room, then and you could see them. Well, what what that's an entirely new medium. That's a shareable medium that that many of us kind of like, uh, maybe more similar to music, right? Many of us could actually experience simultaneously. We could jam together in all kinds of different ways that are actually more visual and, and emotive. Um, so there are there are incredible imaginary and, and creative, um, uh, uh, you know, qualities to, to to Web 3.0 and the spatial web. And our ability to, to share that information, whether it's for very practical reasons um, or, or whether it's for creative reasons, we actually think will be taken to an entirely new level. You can, you can kind of see from here how to get there. So that's, you know, just as these technologies um, certainly can enable some of the very concerning and, and worrisome scenarios, they, they also uh, can create beautiful and, and, a, and amazing uh, creative uh, outlets for us as well that, that, that will change us in other ways.
0: Oh, very good, Gabriel. Um, where can people get resources? Where can they maybe experience, uh, you know, a video of what the uh, the future may be like, or the spatial web will be like, or find out more about Versus?
1: Yeah, for uh, for the time being, we're just kind of coming out of stealth. Uh, www.versus.io um, we are on the World Wide Web, but we will soon be on the Spatial Web. <laughs> and we will, um, you can find all the other relevant links there. We'll be updating it um, pretty frequently uh, over the course of the year. And, and look out for the Spatial Web uh, ebook coming out soon. Um, and okay. you can follow us um, as well on the Spatial Web uh, on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, there'll be some Medium posts coming out soon also under the Spatial Web.
0: That's great. Well, Gabe, thanks for your insights, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, Richard.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.